This is the Nitrogen Podcast. Before we get started this week, I would like to just thank our subject matter experts for this episode. Mike Krieger, assistant principal at a charter school in Colorado. Professor Fran Bunton from the George Washington University. And Professor Joe Tolman from the University of the District of Columbia. How are you doing, Charlie? Man, I'm, I'm excellent. Yeah. What about you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm feeling, yeah. I'm feeling pretty swell. Yeah, but this week, um, we're talking about prisons. Prisons in America. Actually, we've had this conversation a couple times. What do you know about the prison system? I don't know too much about it. I've never really had to deal with it. Oh, so you don't know personally one on one. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and then overall, systematically or whatever, what's happening in the United States. One thing I I am familiar with is a lot of people are being incarcerated, and we're actually one of the countries that has the biggest percentage of their population in prison, which is yes. crazy yes. for for a country that calls themselves land of the free. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Like, so of modernized Western countries, we have right. by far. Uh, the most prisoners. You have to start looking at communist states and authoritative regimes before you start getting close to it, which is something to think about. Um, some quick stats. So the United States represents about 4.4% of the world's population, and it houses around 22% of the world's prisoners. 318 million people in the U.S., which is about 2.8 million people in prison, so almost 1% uh, of our population. Uh, pretty startling, yeah. That's crazy. I was talking to Professor Buttman about this, and she gave me a really interesting idea about how culture and our prison systems in general tend to be more aligned than we think. I think one of the big illusions or delusions is probably a better word most of us have about prisons is that they are very apart from our society and they're very separate from our society. And once we have put people in prison, we've, we've solved the problem. So uh, she talks about how you put someone and lock them all up and throw away the key, and you yeah. think that, that that issue of whatever you locked them up for is gone. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Problem solved. You know, the people who are in prison, they're different than everybody else, and that's why they're in there, right? Um, which is an interesting way of thinking about it. They're different than us, mm-hmm. I'm saying. That's one of her, her, her ideas of the way we mask prisons and think of that. Mask the way that it's different than everyday culture. So it's different that the why people are going into prison is somehow not related to our culture at large. Okay. It's a complicated issue, and, and honestly, it's, it has grown exponentially. Uh, you can check our Twitter. I, Professor Fran Buntman sent me an image. Uh, it's up on our Twitter, so you can take a look at that, of how it just grew exponentially in the past 20 years. It's pretty obscene. So it's recent. Mm-hmm. It's always been a problem. We've always um, put more people in prison, but it uh, hasn't gotten better. Some of the reason that people go to prison, though, is the shift in mentality. Once again, uh, a, a small piece of it is tough on crime. <laughs> Professor Bowman went into it. It was interesting. Tough on crime policies tend to be very blunt instruments for very complex problems. So inevitably, they can't deliver everything they say they're going to deliver, like protecting us from future crime. And... Like any policies, they're going to be the laws of unintended consequences. So not only can they not solve all the problems they promised to solve, make sentences long so you can essentially lock people away and throw the key away and not worry about them. It doesn't work out that way. So what she's saying is that it's not separate from society. It's a whole. It's part of our society. Because these people, what happens once they're out, right? they're going to be integrated back into society. And I like how she says, like, the prison system is saying they'll deliver on everything, which is what? Once these people, they serve their time, they're not going to do it again. They're rehabilitated. Yeah, and then yeah. it'll reduce crime. Rarely do I hear politicians talking about rehabilitation. Never. Mm-mm. It's always, let's lock them up. 
And the reasons why we lock people up, I think, is interesting, too. But one particular piece I want to focus on, I was doing research for this show because I knew, I knew we were going to do it on the prison system, right? Right. And through talking with people, and actually I met Mike, one of the, one of the guys I talked to for this, about how education is linked to the prison system and how people end up in prison. So Professor Tolman is an attorney, and he represents juvenile cases. He started doing this, and, and he started noticing some trends. Right. He talks about them. But the thing that's not as obvious is that the deeper you get into the delinquency system, the more disproportionate as well is the percentage of kids who have unmet special ed needs. And what I mean by that is kids who have some kind of disability that significantly affects their learning. And that can be a number of different disabilities. The one that people are most familiar with tends to be specific learning disabilities. So he noticed in these cases and these clients he was representing that a lot of them have unmet special education needs. So most of that is like dyslexia or ADD is some of the ways that manifests. Uh, so kids can't learn to read or something along those lines. Right. Um, but it's, it's kind of messed up part though. Like I see ADD and, and dyslexia is like very treatable, especially mm-hmm. the area that I live and that I grew up with. Those kids get treatment for it, either with a psychiatrist or with medication. Mm-hmm. But these people obviously aren't, and maybe if they have, they wouldn't be in prison. Yeah, that's true. Not everybody gets that, though, right? Right. Um, so just to put things in perspective, one in five students, or about 15 to 20% of the population, has a language-based learning disability, and dyslexia is the most common. So this is two out of 10 if it's 20%, one, one in five people. Yeah. Like, back in your grade school, I don't know about yours, but, like, mm. mine, the kids that were, like, totally in detention all the time were, like, bullying kids, mm. tended to have the worst grades, and I would just hate on them just because they were a bunch of assholes, but mm. now, looking back, like, damn, maybe if someone had helped them, they wouldn't be such an asshole. That's interesting. So, yeah, yeah they were bullying, and then they ended up right. in detention. Yeah. yeah. So. That's, that sucks. Yeah. Well, Joe, uh, Professor Tolman, sorry, he layers more onto this. You know, John, the problem is that the law is actually pretty good. It says, you know, here are all the things that you're supposed to do in a school setting for kids with disabilities. And um, a significant number of those uh, interventions that are supposed to be provided as a matter of right or entitlement in school uh, don't really happen. And so uh, there's a tendency to push those kids out of school and in what people call the school-to-prison pipeline and into the delinquency system, onto the street and into the delinquency system. So kids with disabilities are fantastically more likely to be um, suspended or expelled from school than kids who aren't disabled. Um, Kids with disabilities who are also minority uh, kids from low-income families are triply at risk, you know, in the sense that the intersectionality of poverty, uh, minority status, and disability status makes it incredibly more likely that the kid will be pushed out of school. That's that's crazy when he says the government actually has a plan in place. It says, here, this is what you should do with kids with disabilities. But a lot of schools just don't care, or they flat out ignore it. Uh, so what he's talking about is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or the IDEA Act. It was first in, conceived in 1975. It's grown then, and it's been re-upped, essentially. So what, um, I'm reading from what it's supposed to do. Uh, it, it ensures students with disabilities are provided with free, appropriate public education 
that is tailored to their individual needs. Um, another portion of it is that it has to focus on things that work, right? Things that we Proven know work. tactics. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So to back it up a little bit more, so we were still talking about like a little bit further down the road, right? So they're getting detentions and things like that. Right. What he was just referencing was that there's actually plans in place to if a child has special needs, like they're dyslexic or they're, you know, reading and they're falling behind because of it, or you, you can notice that they are those things, right? That they get individualized. So like one-on-one, you know, right. attention. Individual care. Right, right. right. Um, and through these proven methods and what have you, right? So we're talking about kids in kindergarten and through third grade. So younger kids. Right, they're learning to read and really develop Pretty much. reading skills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In those ages, if you are born minority, statistically wise, right. you don't have the adequate funding is what it comes down to, or the perception of that. And they have the money, but they're not allocating it. There. I know. I mean, I think there needs to be more money in education. I won't argue that. That's that's a whole nother. Yeah, podcast. that's a whole nother thing. So I wouldn't say they don't have enough money in the right yeah. areas, right? In the right areas, you should give right. schools more money. You know, there's, like you said, there's things we can do. Yeah. Professor Tolman gets even deeper in, into the point of, he just emphasizes the intersection, what he says, of being poor or minority. Yeah. And then, you know, and with dis- dis- disability. Right. Just together. Yeah. It's like a perfect storm. Yeah, of- know, I, I don't like the, I don't like calling it disability just because it affects so many people. You know what I mean? And people get right. over it. It's not, I feel like disability it's is a, a It's word. a strong word. More like yeah. a... I don't know. Well, we can get into the semantics yeah. later. Yeah. It's incredibly concentrated in the District of Columbia. And here it's going to sound like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. The incarceration population of kids in the District of Columbia is 100% minority kids. And I think it's 100% poor, you know, minority kids from poor families. Um, it's extraordinary. Sobering. 100%. But it goes back to schools, though, right? DC, sure. I want to just throw this out there. Uh, my sister is involved in the uh, DC public school. She was an intern for them, and they're really trying. They're doing some good things. Uh, but anyways, so kids start manifesting these problems later. They start acting out. If they have disabilities and they aren't getting the care, they're not keeping up in class, you know, later down the road. They get some fights and things. And Mike Krieger tells a story about a kid that ends up in one of these situations, and I'll play that. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. Um, I can think of one particular student that I had when I first started teaching, like a pretty good kid, but definitely had a lot of issues at home and had like a lot of anger management issues around that kind of stuff and bounced around with foster care, things like that. And from what I remember, he got into a fight. We're talking about an eighth grader to give you some context, right? Mm -hmm. So a 13 year old, 14 year old, um, got into a couple fights and then was pushed to basically a juvenile detention school center. And then that was the last device I saw. Them. And that's how like the things that you see. And they maybe they go to one of these schools, basically like a jail school or a detention school. And it's not improvement, right? They don't do better after that. You know, they need to be students who stay in school and stay in class are the ones that improve. And often those those things are directly linked to like poor academic performance and like low literacy levels and things like that. Right. So uh, he's talking about how other ways it can manifest itself just from the taking a step back. So there's kids tend to act out. They have these, like you said, literacy problems. So they dyslexia or other challenges. Um, and the way that they act out ends up getting them punished. Right. And one of the ways in which they get punished was like he got in a fight. He got too many fights. So then he went uh, to a detention program which is probably a situation where Professor Tolman would get involved. But that, that was what he was describing there. It seems like they're implementing the wrong thing. They're, they're punishing the effect, not the cause. They're not figuring out why is he acting out. Or maybe they are. It's they're not, not getting to the bottom of it. 
and that goes kind of like a, a, a running theme is that it's not happening in, in the minority communities. Yeah, because the minority communities tend to be populated in the poorer regions. Right. You know, if there's issues at home, you know, because poor people have more issues with their families because that's, I mean, that's one of the byproducts of it, right? Yeah. It's just tougher. Well, so you act out on it, get in fights, I mean, you just can't read. It's just, it compounds the problem a lot. So there's something else that Professor Tolman got into, and he really, he talked about how this so-called pipeline takes shape. As we would start looking at our clients, that is to say the kids' school history, and you asked how it manifested, what we would see is sort of repeatedly the same pattern, which is that the young person, somewhere between pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, first, second, third grade, would stop making progress or not really get started making progress. And the kid would sort of plateau in early elementary school, not really learn to read well, and you know, it's sort of like you're treading water for years and then you start to drown. So he's saying the key issue is a lot of it is the reading level. Mm-hmm. Like, I grew up in like middle class area, but a really uh, privileged school. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't read, like, they're going to focus on you. And they even put like people in different like programs. Like, if they're a little behind, they would take them to the side. There was like, you know, there was even like, a, I think it was like a, a teacher specifically for kids with those, with, you know, different abilities, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, see, okay, so I went to a private school in the suburbs of Chicago, right? right? Mm-hmm. So I actually have dyslexia, and I have ADD as well. Once the teachers were like, okay, he's not reading, like, we're going to get something. But it was still, like, three or four of the people in in the room, and it, it definitely just didn't take. In yeah. no way, no. Yeah, I thought that was that was interesting because I, I, I put myself in their shoes for a second, right? And I was like, oh, man. like, And this totally made me reflective on all that kind of stuff because uh, third grade, fourth grade, oh, dude, I would, I would act out like crazy, dude, totally. Detentions? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, is that surprising? Dude, to you? like I know this guy. I'm like, really? Him acting out? That's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, little, really? Little, little, little bad kid? Yeah, okay. You hated authority. Um, okay, so I thought it was. I always uh, thought it was an authority problem, yeah. actually. I really did. And then okay. I was doing this episode, yeah. and I think it was because I struggled reading. Okay, in like college, I started thinking back on my life, and I was like, shit, dude, like, I feel like I just couldn't read. But I, I could read, but it was, it was like difficult. It was like hard to process is the only way I can describe it. Yeah. And looking back on it and because of this episode i realized that i was acting out not because it was authority it was because whenever they would ask me to go up to the board and write something like a sentence you know from the book on the board or something like that sure totally didn't want to do it i was like i in in hindsight it's because you know to the dyslexia but at the time i was like screw this i don't want to do this because it would stress me out and i just would i was like i can't do that and then i would go outside in the hallway and then i was having the time of life because i didn't have to you know sit there and read right yeah i'm not like that now and there's a there's there's actually kind of a reason, and Professor Tolman actually uh, enlightened me a little bit into that as well. And the pattern becomes sort of more obvious because when a child hits, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, two things happen. One is that the material in school becomes more conceptual and abstract. And the second is that the child becomes more capable of acting out, of effectively taking matters into his or her own hands. So kids have a really difficult time being truant until middle school. They're just not capable of doing it. They're not capable of going out and getting into uh, trouble until they're in middle school. And it, it happens, but typically the pattern of deviant behavior becomes uh, more likely and more apparent in middle school when the kid is just more capable of doing it. 
So what he's talking about and being truant and all that goes back to the detention or what is called the punitive model. So it's one way of going about, you know, the disciplining people is just punishing them, throwing them into detention, which eventually enough detention, suspensions, and so forth. Oh, I'm hitting puberty. Oh, my muscles are going. I can hurt people now. Yeah, I definitely started acting out in fifth grade. That is 100% the truth. And then, I mean, eighth grade, I started getting better about it. High school, I didn't act out. <laughs> so, I mean, it, I mean, it matches up, right? And a lot yeah, of that was because time of... Tables. It was, like, situations where I have to be, you know, have to read or, I mean, someone would be giving me shit about getting a bad grade or something. <laughs> I mean, like, then I would kind of get angry or talk back. Yeah. So, it, segueing a little bit here, um, that was a punitive model, punitive model to just punish kids that are acting out and things like that, right? So, there's another model out there that's catching up, which is great. It's called the restorative model, uh, restorative justice, which is a buzzword, but... Um, it's essentially a new way of going about this disciplinary process. So uh, Mike Krieger talks about it. It impacts the other students as well. And in this like restorative model, like that student has to right that wrong with the other students. And so, for example, it may be that they have a, a, like a big, we call them like a circle. So the students in their advisory, maybe 16 kids get together with the student who brought drugs to school. And they talk about it, and the kid apologizes, and some of the other kids talk about, like, why, how that made them feel and how they're disappointed, right? Like, I'm disappointed, you know, you made our advisory look bad, like, we, we have a great school, and now, you know, like, this is what people, you know, think about. A lot of, like, I've seen circles where um, it's been, you know, say, like, a really mixed racial group, and the student who did bring drugs to school happens to be African-American and another African-American young man like said like hey man like this makes me look bad this is what people think these are stereotypes that people have about black men and when you did that like it didn't just affect you it affects me as well and it was a really powerful moment because when the other young man like apologized and was like you're right you're right and so it's like what's going to like have a kid grow or fix a kid's behavior more that conversation or just uh, you're suspended see you in three days that was one enlightened as kid like self-aware like dude that makes black people look bad if you're you know he's so self-aware of society that's a perception that people have oh, genius little kid yeah so one of the things that actually mike talks about and it's great that you do this <laughs> up actually uh is that he they talk about it so the circle so the circle right. that he's talking about isn't just used for when punishment happens. And he, he talks about this, like you have to build this type of culture amongst mm -hmm. the, the students in which they're open to talk about that. Because saying that and in front of a room full of people, that's, that's daunting. Dude, yeah. But you have to make sure that they're safe in it and that they're okay with saying that. And, they, and that yeah. they, want, they know about it, which is I think what you were getting at, right? And they're informed and talk about it, but the fact they can say it. And, and he talks about character. He, he says it better than I ever could. Character and a school culture all the time. It has to be proactive. Right, so you're talking about things that are coming up. You're having like these circles about issues in the community. You're having like space and time for kids to share and express their feelings, to make mistakes, to talk about like their own character and to identify strengths and growth areas that they have. So that when the things do happen, all of that framework is in place. And then it's okay. Like you can't just go into a school that has like a, you know, a really like punitive culture, right? zero tolerance and then say, okay, we're getting rid of all these rules and we're going to do restorative circles and it's going to be a conversation and we're all going to like hold hands. That's not going to work, right? Because the kids and the staff and the adults as well, like won't have any buy-in. Um, so it's, it's a slow process. I'm trying to balance the whole kumbaya, is that what he says? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> With a little authoritative 
uh, presence, which you, you do need, you know? Yeah, you, I mean, you need both, right? It's, right. A, it's a delicate balance, but I mean, sure. even the concept, like you said, that was an enlightening kid, right? I think right. that idea of, you know, having school like that was pretty enlightening, right? Like, yeah. you know, if somebody sat me down, right, and said, if, like, it was a bunch of people that I was at school with, and was like, dude, when you, like, give the teacher a hard time, like, it really distracts, and it takes, like, ten minutes, and it's a whole thing, man. Can you just stop <laughs> doing that? It's a, it's a thing, dude. Right? Like, <laughs> could you imagine? It's a thing, man. But, no, it's true. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, though, like, can you do that with, like, this dude punch another kid in the face? Don't you think he needs, like, maybe some kind of discipline, obviously, too? So don't you need a, a little bit of both? I think you need Oh, without a doubt. I yeah. think you need both. But, I mean, I think, you know, fights and, you know, uh, dr- I mean, drugs. Like, they were able to talk about drugs. I think if they were able to talk about drugs, they can talk about fighting. Right. Um, but, I mean, it does take time. I think he builds a great point that it takes time to get to the point of being able to talk about this. And to your point, it's hard and you need to balance it with some type of discipline measures. Yeah. They're, they're not, it's not a speeding ticket, right? Like, kids are at school to learn. And so discipline should also be a learning experience because otherwise, what's the point? It's like, what do you, it becomes like vindictive or becomes like a win, like, like a power struggle. It's not about power, you know? Like, I think it often is. Like, if you think of your own experience, there are so many experiences I had in the education system where it was clearly about power with the adult. Whether they knew it or not, or whether they wanted to admit it or not, it was about power, it was a power struggle. When it gets to, when you have like a more restorative model, like you still have to have power, you have to be the adult in the situation and all that, right? But it's not about like flexing your power on the kids, it's about saying like, okay, you made a mistake, what do we have to do to fix the mistake you made? Whatever that is, right, whatever level that is. Maybe it includes like, you know, a day of out of school suspension because you got in a fixed the cafeteria, but there's gonna be some other stuff as well. So to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier about how individuals who are in poor backgrounds don't have the action, you know, even though it's law, it's law, it's right? Law. It's federal law. Yeah. They don't have that, right? And, you know, I'll, I'll post the, the interviews again, but Professor Tolman, you know, I'll quote him for a second. He said, the problem is that the law is pretty good, but obviously it can't be enacted. So uh, why is that? And he, he talks about it. And he talks about it in the terms of a financial conundrum. The problem with financial conundrums is a little more subtle, but I think more, much more important. And um, it's the following. If I'm a principal and I get a per capita funding amount, uh, meaning funding per student, and you know, make up the number, it varies by jurisdiction, but let's say it's $10,000 a student. And I've got 500 students in my high school. And let's say I have the national average of kids with disabilities, maybe 13%. So I take my 10000 per kid and I budget all the resources I need for that school. You know, I need a gym teacher and I need X number, you know, eight English teachers and I need this many math teachers and this many science teachers and I need a nurse and I need this and that and the other thing. So I budget that all out. Now I'm left with the question of, holy cow, I've got 13% who have varying needs that may be you know, varying from more expensive, slightly more expensive, to a lot more expensive. And if you're saying I need to hire a psychologist, well, yes, I'll hire a psychologist to cover the school, or I'll share a psychologist with another school. I'll have an itinerant psychologist. But I'm not going to hire enough psychologists to do the individualized behavioral interventions that kids may need. So there's a lot of issues that compound to get kids in this pipeline. 
But I wanted to, uh, just to pulling that quote out there because he he paints an interesting picture of these you know financial conundrums that he says um, that they're the system in, in and of itself breeds. And and that's kind of the part that sucks, man. Uh, the financial conundrum. It's the school has to set a budget and uh, has to take into account getting all the requirements for the school, and they just don't have the funds to have that individualized care that we were talking about earlier. You know, they'll they'll have one, they'll have a person, but there's just not enough resources. That one person isn't enough to accommodate, you know, the mm-hmm. 13%. And that sucks because yeah, they yeah. shouldn't be in this position, in the financial conundrum. It is. And the, they didn't get that individualized care, right? So uh, right around fourth and fifth grade, my mom was like, shout out to the real MVP, my mom. Oh, she would, yeah, she would sit with me and we would read the Harry Potter books. And that's nice. 100% like that got me and i was a really slow reader in like seventh grade that's part of like i would act out but i was slow i was starting to get it but i was like a a slow reader that's awesome right and so then i started like getting into the books that we were reading in class and then slow rolled and now i'm the person that i am today where i just don't shut up he just doesn't stop reading like it's all (laughs) dude yeah your mom is a super mvp dude so my mom had to go back to work though so she only she's like probably around sixth grade right is when i stopped getting more of that one i want i guess i mean shit happens right but if maybe if I got it sooner, maybe it would have been different, right? I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have been acting out in seventh grade when I was like getting all my attentions. I don't know, <laughs> right? But that's like that's a situation that they're put in, right? Like you know, I went to a Catholic school where it was an affluent neighborhood, affluent kids, you know, and they still only had one teacher for three kids, right? Four kids. It's interesting. So there's another point that Professor Tolman brings up too. The subtle problem then is that it becomes we're disincentivizing that kind of budgeting by the way we budget, and it incentivizes pushing kids out of school through suspension and expulsion instead of providing the relatively speaking, you know, moderately more expensive individualized services that would keep them there. So it's, you have a system in place to deal with these kids, right? So it's an unintended consequence so that you're going to give me more funding or if I put them over here, they're going to get help in the prison school kind of thing, right? It, why should I budget for it, right? I don't have that much already. It's it's tough. It's a conundrum. It's a conundrum. It's it's it manifests itself in, in money, but the reality of it's it's tough. But I want to know why you weren't in, in juvenile, or you know, you you didn't go uh, to I prison. Mean, there's, you know? so, I mean, there's why. I don't know. I got lucky. I think I got lucky in a lot of ways because my mom, when she did go back to work and she wasn't able to sit with me, I was. She worked at the library, dude. Actually, so I didn't find out I was dyslexic until two years ago. My parents just never told me. They hid it from me, straight up. Because my dad's dyslexic, and they were like, I don't want you to have to deal with that shit. I thought I had a brain tumor when I started realizing that I was like, because like I flip letters around and shit, and I started realizing I started like being aware that I do it all the time, and I just like make up for it. And I, I talked to my dad. I was like, "Dude, I have like a brain tumor." He's like, "No, no, no, no. doctor told me the same thing. I'm fine. It's okay. Just, it's fine." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Uh, so um, professor told me when he was telling me on the phone, I told him that analogy. I'm like, "You know, this is sounding an awful lot like this." And he goes, "You know, when you think about the other end of the spectrum, because this punitive model produces you know detention situations and all that kind of stuff." That people are putting them in the situations to try to get them help. That's like, you know, the reason of doing it. But, you know, maybe the type of rhetoric and using the same one is like tough on crime. The kid's bad. Let's put him in here. He'll get better or whatever. I don't think that like a single person is responsible for this. I think it's a systemic, it's a systemic issue, issue, right? right? I, I don't want to make it seem like that. It's, it is definitely a systemic issue. It's not individual people. But right. the systemic issue that puts people in water, yeah. they're trying to like send them off to make them better. But unintended consequences. Yeah. Uh, bringing it back. Unintended consequences. So. Yeah, if there was a different way of doing it, you you probably save a fortune. And Professor Tolman talks about that too. I just want every kid to learn to read between kindergarten and third grade. And if we did that, we would save an untold fortune in behavioral problems later on, in incarceration systems. I mean, the number of people who are in any given jail or prison who are functionally illiterate 
is astonishing. And it's just common sense that if you spend the money and you invest the person power in getting somebody between kindergarten and third grade proficient in reading at grade level, you've just solved a huge array of problems for the future, not only of that kid, but for the community. Last round of stats for you, okay? Yeah. 85% of all juveniles who interface with the juvenile court system are functionally illiterate. This is uh, beginning to read.com. It's got some bunch of statistics. Uh, more than 60% of all prison inmates are functionally illiterate. 70% of inmates in American prisons cannot read above a fourth grade level. So a huge 85% of the juveniles alone, and because of that, eventually the prison system as a whole is illiterate. Well, I was going to say, if we spent more money on education, we'd have to spend less money on the uh, adverse effects of not spending on education, which right. is people going to prison. So right. we'd, we'd save all that money up and you know, maybe put it even more into education or, or wherever we need it. Because it's already going there, it's that financial conundrum. The money is already going to these other means because there's a system that's existing in perpetuity with it. And I mean, we're talking about a system which is much larger yeah. than that single school. And changing that single school from a punitive model to a restorative model takes three years. Imagine what's going to happen in a system. So I don't want to belittle the fact that this is an enormous problem. Yeah. But right. you're a right. tiny band-aid on a huge yeah. problem, right? Exactly. Money's already going there, I guess. Yeah. Is it just finance? Or is there certain other factors? Like, I don't know. is this happening on purpose? as well because they're minorities i don't know it's an interesting thought yeah i mean all i know is that it's the system as a whole is because people who are you know poor minority people ended up end up are more poor right that's i think that's the issue maybe but it's it's complex because there's also drugs like yeah. i mean i think uh to bring back to professor buntman i think we have to think about not only the slice of the problem like we're like this is a giant pie right yeah. and this this right here is probably like one thirty second of this this is less than a pizza slice like if you got this this is like an appetizer finger slice of a pizza yeah. that we're looking <laughs> at here okay yeah uh but this is one small facet of the problem right. And one way of solving it, I personally think for a large portion of it, is education. But then you also have to look at drug convention rates. Right. Are we restoring our prisoners? Yeah. Are we getting them health the literacy they need? That, you know, maybe we can help people back when they get out. Yeah. So like that's how, something yeah. else. It's, 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 I don't know, it's complicated. Yeah. No, well, it's, it's funny. Like, a lot of our problems are so intertwined. Since <sighs> yes. we have this problem. Yes. We yes. have this problem. Unintended consequences. We have that one. Right. It's complicated. Like, yeah. everything else we end up talking <laughs> about, not, it's worthy of longer than this is. But... You know, it's, there's, there's something, and Professor Bowman hints on it. The problem, but also to look at the roots of the solution. And, and, you know, we've sort of hinted at it a little bit in those last few comments about that there are disparate groups motivated by different things who are trying to address these issues. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not a hopeless situation, but it's a challenging one. You know, I think I think she sums it up the best, and she just says it's complex, but it's it's not a hopeless one. So there's things we can do. You know, maybe if we had a commission to just air all this out, that'd be nice. But once again, it's complicated. Investigate it more. I think we'll keep going on with this, and tune in next time. And we're going to be diving a little bit more into that education system. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys, and uh, you take care.